are starting tonight our journey through Genesis. It's great to have Alexander back, by the way, <clears throat> from St. Louis. We are glad he is here, and he will be with us for a couple months. But uh, we are starting our journey through Genesis, and I want to uh, do some introing on that. So I'm going to say a prayer, and then we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that you would just speak to our hearts tonight, God. I pray that you would challenge us through this uh, amazing book of Genesis. Thank you for these words of testimony. Thank you for your sweet presence, God. And I just ask you, Lord, anoint us tonight to speak and to hear, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. So journey through Genesis part one, chapter one, and um, let me start with some remarks to understand the big story, the epic saga of the Bible, you have to dig into Genesis. Genesis is the soil out of which the rest of the Bible grows. Everything comes together if you understand Genesis, especially the first few chapters of Genesis. And the deeper you dig into Genesis, you find answers in that depth of study, but it causes you to have new questions, and you got to dig a little deeper. And the more you dig, the more answers you find, the deeper you get, and the process goes on and on. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. The Bible is not a science book filled with scientific facts and explanations. Rather, the Bible is a revelation from God, about God and His creation. We're not looking for scientific facts in the book of Genesis. That wasn't its intended um, reason, the reason it was intended uh, to be written in the first place. We'll, uh, we'll break some of that down a little bit more, this idea of revelation. Let me talk about the word Genesis. It's from the Latin via the Greek, and it means origin. Genesis is the book of origins, or the book of beginnings. It is a glimpse into first things. And in John 5.39, Jesus said, Of the Old Testament, including the book of Genesis, He said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Now, this was a rebuke to the religious elites of his day, and he was, he was dealing with them and some issues they were having. They were quoting scriptures, getting it all messed up, and he said, search the scriptures. These are they which testify of me. Essentially, he was saying, the scriptures testify of me. Genesis testifies of me. The New American Standard Bible uh, says, they bear witness of me. Again, he's speaking of the Tanakh or the Jewish scriptures, including Genesis, Genesis through Malachi. He says, they testify, they witness of me, he was saying. The New Living Translation puts it like this, the scriptures are pointing to me. So the entire Old Testament, starting with Genesis, is pointing to Jesus. It's like 39 credible, faithful witnesses, those 39 books of the Old Testament, testifying 
to the world. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the seed of the woman, as we'll see. In other words, it's all about Him. He's the subject of it all. And that's that's pretty much what John wrote in his prologue in John 1. Remember, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And the Word, verse 14, became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld His glory, the glorious, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, the reason I'm spending a little time on this is because I want to drive home a point. These are not just ancient stories that, well, at best lead to clever moral lessons or at worst lead to nowhere. These stories have a purpose. They lead us to Jesus. They are pointing to Jesus. Theologians have broken down the study of the Bible into ten major areas or systems, systematic theology. And those ten areas are theology proper, the study of the character of God, biblical theology, the study of the Bible, Christology, the study of Christ, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, soteriology, the study of salvation, theological anthropology, the study of the nature of humanity, Hamardiology, the study of sin, angelology, the study of angels, ecclesiology, the study of the church, eschatology, the study of the end times. But in my opinion, that's pretty heavy, but in my opinion, nine of these support the one. The nine support Christology, the story of Christ. They further the story of the subject, Jesus alone. Jesus, the Christ, is God's magnum opus. It really is all about Jesus. I'm just telling you, like, I've studied the Bible a long time. It took me a while to figure that out. That sounds kind of ridiculous, but it did. You go digging through those, and, and you isolate those stories, and they don't make sense. But when you get an overall view that they're all pointing to Jesus, wow, the thing comes alive. It is sharp and, and, and alive and uh, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It will dig down into your spirit these stories that talk about Jesus. This is a Jesus book, the whole Bible, and Genesis is the way it all begins. So if Jesus was the Word made flesh, and Genesis is our first glimpse into who he is, his DNA, and it's kind of like Genesis would be our first look at his genetics, right? The genes, the genesis of Jesus. 
So we're going to be looking for Jesus throughout the book of Genesis. That's the point. Jesus said the scriptures, they speak of me. And appropriately, this book of beginnings is the first book in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the Jewish Old Testament. Now, I want to give some clarity. This is all introduction. We're going there. I promise we'll get there. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Hey, we baptized Katie in Jesus' name this past Sunday right over here. Hallelujah. It's awesome. Now, here's some, here's some clarity. We generally refer to the Bible as a book. We say it's the number one best-selling book of all time. But technically, it's a collection of books. There are 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. They're all contained in one volume that we call the Bible. Now, this book of Genesis, its authorship is attributed to anybody know the man? Moses, to Moses. And we see the next four books also are attributed to Moses. Of course, ultimately, we know God's the author. God inspired. He's the author of the whole Bible, but he moved on men. Moses wrote down the words of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. As a matter of fact, Jesus called these five books the writings of Moses. These five books are called the Pentateuch, meaning the five books or five scrolls. In my Bible study, if you've ever sat through that, and I've taken quite a few of you through my Bible study, I mentioned that there was no written word of God for the first 2,500 years of man's existence. God spoke to man orally through his conscience and through creation. But there are certain problems, Julie, that arise because of that. Because you and I both know people who hear voices and it ain't God, right? So that can be misconstrued. Somebody says, you know, God told me this. We just had a disaster in Manchester over in England, and and it, it had a religious background to it. God told me to do this. I don't know if he heard voices, but he heard teaching, right? People hear voices to tell them to do all kind of crazy stuff, and it's not God. So, so God spoke to people orally, just came down and talked to them. Hey, hey, Adam, hey, Noah, hey, Moses. Like, that's awesome, you know. I got to be honest with you, never had audible voice from God. Never have. Some people have, praise the Lord. I never have. God spoke to people orally. I believe he still does, but, you know, it's not a reliable source. It could be bad pizza. And then God spoke to men and women through their conscience. Like, I know this is the wrong thing to do. I just know it. I just know something's telling me it's wrong. Or something's telling me it's right through our conscience. But as we all know, man, we can get calloused in our conscience. We can find excuses and justifications for doing whatever it is we want to do. And so... The conscience, it's not as reliable as it should be. And you can sever your conscience, you know. Sear your conscience, as with a hot iron, the Bible says. So that's not always reliable. And then, of course, creation testifies to the glory of God. 
But man, for eons, has gotten confused on that and, and, and worshipped trees and cows and turtles and stars and constellations and made-up stories based on creation, worship mountains and worship the earth. Uh, so those sources of God speaking to us through audible means, through the conscience and through creation, there are problems with those. So God wanted to put it in writing where we could compare what we're hearing to that written word and determine, was that God or was that not God? And we could compare our conscience, what we feel to be right or wrong, we could compare that to that written word and and know whether or not this is from God or not. And we could look at creation and get an understanding of the one who made all of this is greater than all of this. And so that written word... That written word would be the solution and the means by which God would get his message to humanity. And the first time we ever get written word of God is when God wrote the Ten Commandments. Uh, They're called the Decalogue. The Ten Commandments on stone tablets on Mount Sinai and gave them to Moses. So that's the first time that we know of. That's called the word of God. The finger of God. The Spirit of God emblazoned like a laser beam on those tablets. And we've talked about those tablets before. Some of those old Hebrew, uh, those old Jewish uh, rabbis said that those stone tablets were made of sapphire. And I've told you all, you know, like if they're sapphire, let's, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. They might as well be like highly polished, beautiful sapphire. I mean, if you go on with sapphire, go all the way. And so we don't know really, but just stone tablets, but the the finger of God emblazoned the Ten Commandments on those two tablets on Mount Sinai. But you know what that included? It included the Ten Commandments, and that's all. Basically, Exodus 22 through 17. According to some sources, the Ten Commandments, if you look at all of those words, at least in the original languages, you've got about 172 words that were written on those tablets. But that was the beginning of God putting his word in a written form. Are you with me? Now, having said that, the stories that we're going to see in the book of Genesis, those stories had been passed down from generation to generation. They had been passed down through oral tradition, the telling of stories, weaving together the epic story. The Hebrew for generations or descendants is toldot. And and so you've got these generational passing down of the information. And for instance, Adam told his sons about sacrifice. And we see Cain and Abel making sacrifices, Seth making sacrifices. Uh, he told him about the promised seed of the woman. Enoch told Methuselah. Methuselah and, and told Lamech. Lamech told Noah. Noah told Shem. Shem told Terah. Terah told Abraham. And on and on it goes. And so, here's a, a point I'm laboring to make. Although there's no written word of God from that era, any. In other words, there's no, there's no 
writings that would be considered the word of God. The word of those stories, though, that were handed down, some were written down as well. Some were written down. Uh, It's not that people could speak but not write. We know from the historical, archaeological record, writing was pretty much all over. The stories had been preserved even in a written form. For for the sake of our discussion tonight, the 172 words on Sinai arranged in just the way God wanted those 172 words arranged to communicate precisely what He wanted to communicate were considered to be definitively the first written words of God. It, It was like others were writing down the stories but they were, they were writing them down from memory and from what Grandpa said. You ever play that gossip game, you know? Sit in a circle and somebody's like, you know, we're gonna, here's, here's the word. And you're like, you know, uh, Brad loves the book of Genesis. And so then it like goes to the next person. They're like, Brad loves the book of Genesis. Then goes to the next person. Brad loves Genesis. And then Brad loves Gene? Gene? Brad loves Gene. And then it's like, Brad loves G, Jesus. Brad loves Jesus. And then it comes all the way around. And it's like, what did you say? Brad loves Jesus. No, Brad loves the book of Genesis. It's that gossip thing. It gets lost as, as the circle, you know, as it goes. And so what happened was people were telling this story. So you got, you know, Adam, Seth, and it's passing on down. But pieces are missing. We know that this story of beginnings, this story of origins, is in every people group, every anth- what anthropologists would say people group across the face of the earth. There are stories of creation. There are stories of beginnings, including epic stories of floods and, and things like that. The, the Babylonians had uh, epic stories uh, in, in, their, in their writings. We see these uh, these stories that that were uh, I've got one written down here I can't find it but they had these stories for, from uh, these ancient cultures had these stories of beginnings but it's like they were getting piece they were missing pieces they weren't getting it all in and so God said I'm going to put it in writing once and for all I'm going to set the record straight you you the flood I get it but you're missing these pieces and. You got God created, but you're missing these pieces. And so he decided, I'm, I'm going to put it in a form, uh, and, and I'm going to move. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to inspire Moses to write my word down about the beginning. Amen. And so that's where we are. And so Moses began to write, and he started with verse one in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, again, this is not a science book. You know, there's a lot of philosophical arguments that could be made to try to prove the existence of God. If you've taken any philosophy class, probably not in your first one, but probably in your second philosophy class in college, you you got into some of that. There are ways to argue for the existence of God. Logical, philosophical reasons that you could argue for that. But but God, 
does not start the book of Genesis in some kind of philosophical argument. It's just an assumption. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is, always has been, always will be. He's the creator of all things. What you going to do about it, right? It's just, just a declaration. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Very powerful. Assumes intelligence and purpose in the design. Now, the Bible tells us we can know God exists because of what he created. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows us his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and the were, uh, and, and their words to the end of the world. Romans one twenty. For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes are clearly his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It's this idea that there is a God. Creation testifies there is a God, and there is intelligence and purpose behind creation. If there is a creator, there, if there is creation, there is a creator. And he created with intelligence and with purpose. And, you know, people will deny the existence of God. They'll try to find alternatives. But, but the purpose behind it is what's missing. People argue for atheism. Uh, they'll argue for uh, you know, the Big Bang and evolution and, and God not anywhere to be found. But what is missing is purpose. Why? Why am I here? Am I just atoms just with no purpose, no reason? And I say, no. God is intelligent. God has purpose and reason behind the creation that he has made. Created everything that we see. And he did so with words. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were made of things which are uh, visible. The things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. He just said, let there be. And there was. Now, I want to uh, read this second verse and and we're going to, Continue laying some foundation. I promise you, we're going to have some practical application. But there's some deep thought. This is the beginning of some a, a, a huge, like I said, if we don't get these verses, then it, it, the rest of it doesn't seem to make sense. Number two, verse two. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I preached about this not too long ago. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord And there is no other. In the Hebrew, void means tawu, meaning empty or 
void, empty or void. And God says, I did not create the earth in vain or in tawu, empty or vain or void. But by the second verse of Genesis, we have a situation where the earth is without form and void. So he said, I didn't originally create it that way. But by the second verse, it is that way. So we have to assume something happened. And there are many theories on this. Now, as we get into some of this stuff, I'll tell you, this is my opinion, this is my view. I'll tell you, I don't have a clue. Uh, But it's very interesting. Something happened, I think, scripturally, you can prove it, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. We don't have details. We have hints and innuendos. I love Deuteronomy, I think it's 29-29, says that the... The secret things belong to the Lord. The things He's revealed belong to us and our children forever. Meaning, if He just put it down in plain, you know, where we could understand it, it belongs to us. But if He's not revealed it, it's none of our business. And so we don't have that answer. And I'm okay with that. I don't have to have all the answers. But what happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? I believe it had to do with the fall of Lucifer, okay? Lucifer was an archangel. There were three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer. Michael was a warring angel. Every time we see Michael, he's fighting. Now, let me say this. Are you with me? We're going to talk about angels. It's always a little spooky, right? Here's the deal. Angels, if, if if we don't believe in angels, we're discounting much of the Bible. Jesus believed in angels. If we discount angels, then we discount what Jesus believed in. We have to go there. We have to believe in angels. Angels exist. They're a form, a creature, a a species of being. And these angelic creatures are sensitive to authority. We see this all throughout the Bible. And there are three archangels. Michael, he's a fighter. Michael's a fighter. And then there's Gabriel. Gabriel's a talker. He's a speaker. Our first member, Gabe, was a talker, right? Still is. And then there was Lucifer. And Lucifer, well, he was a musician, right? (laughs) So Lucifer is seen to be beautiful. I'm not going to read the scriptures in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, We've gone there, we've talked about it, I want to get into Genesis, but we've got to deal with this just for a moment. Uh, Lucifer was one of three high-ranking angels, archangels, and he was over the worship department, he was beautiful, he was probably the most beautiful, he was anointed, he's called the anointed cherub, and he was as as close to, he was probably the highest ranking. So there's God, Lucifer, Lucifer. You know, Michael, Gabriel, others below. And so he's way up there, but he wasn't content there. And he tried to raise his throne higher than God's. He wanted God's place. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. He was cast out of heaven. And you know where he ended up? He ended up on a planet that was being formed, made, whatever. Uh, Maybe originally was without form and void. Uh, was not without form and void, was created to be inhabited perfectly, and he came down and it became without form and void. Are you with me? 
So it, it got messed up. And, and we see as God begins to create Adam and Eve, he's, he's going to put them in a garden that he has prepared. Check this out. A third of the angels go with Lucifer. And they come to the earth. And so God carves an enclave out called Eden. And in Eden, he puts Adam and Eve. I'm ahead of myself, but we're going there. And and so he puts them in that garden. And he tells them, subdue this planet and dominate it. Have dominion over it. Subdue it. Now, why would they need to leave Eden and go around the planet and subdue it? Because... There were evil spirits there. Lucifer and those fallen angels were there already. We know this because Lucifer came into the garden. He's now Satan. He comes into the garden and he begins to talk to them and and hence the fall of man. So we're going to deal with this stuff. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. This, This is where it all begins. This is where it all starts. This is where it makes sense. This is where being baptized in water starts to come together and make sense. Being filled with the Spirit starts to make sense. There was a union that God and man enjoyed and had, and that union was broken at the fall, and and God starts reeling him back in. It takes him 4,000 years to get the Messiah into the earth who finishes the work and prepares the way, And, and so finally the church is born And people can turn to Jesus and and lose their identity in baptism and lose their individuality in baptism and come up in a covenant walk union with God, with Christ, and begin to live a life empowered by the Spirit as Adam was intended to do from the beginning. So all of this, it all ties in together with what we do today. Now what I want to do is I want to to talk about the creation of, of the animals the sea creatures, and human beings. And and that's where we're going to go for the next few minutes. God created the sea creatures. And here's how he did it. He said to the waters, let the waters bring forth sea creatures. And it happened. Boom. Fish. Drum, grouper, flounder. I can't think of any other fish right now. Sakale, right? (laughs) So then he wants to create land animals. And he says to the ground, he says to the earth, bring forth land animals. And the ground brings forth land animals, deer, buffalo, what have you. Creeping things, it says. This is Genesis 1.20, Genesis 1.24. So he speaks to the sea. He doesn't say, let there be sea creatures. And there were sea creatures. He says, let the water bring forth sea creatures. He doesn't say, let there be land animals. He says to the ground, bring forth land animals. And there they are. And the sea creatures can't survive outside 
of the sea. They die. Take a fish, you put it on the pier, it flounders, flounders, flops, sucking for air, dies. It's a sad thing, right? It's a sad thing. Although, Wesley said he's got a fresh batch of little brim that did just that, all cut up and ready to fry for me, and I'm all about that. Uh, so that's what happens. They die. You take a deer and you go throw them in the middle of Marpaw or, you know, Pontchartrain or something. If, if it's too far away from shore, he's going to swim and swim and he's going down because he can't survive in the water. You put you out there. You, you're not going to make it either, right? But you put those land animals. Here's the deal. The sea creature can't survive out of the element from which it was created. It was made to live in that thing out of which it came. Can't live. It dies. And the word death in Genesis means separation. It does not mean just like we think of ceasing to exist or whatever. It means separation. There, there's a, that, that's the, the general idea behind it. And so you take a sea creature and you put them on land, he dies. You take a land animal, you, you, you put him in the sea, he dies. So in Genesis 1.26, when God was going to make man, you read it, it says this. It says, and God said to himself, this is what he's saying, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, man then would have been created. God spoke it. We know he formed a a form out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life. But the idea is this. Man originated from within God. Let us make man in the same way. He said to the earth, bring forth animals. He said to the sea, bring forth sea creatures. But he said to himself, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And man cannot exist outside of a union with God. We're like a fish out of water. We're we're like an animal out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. They're supposed to be on the land. And and with the fall of man, what we're about to see is we're going to see man like a fish out of water. Man dying. The day you eat this fruit, he said, is the day you will die. And Adam did not fall over dead, but he was separated. He was, separ- he, he was thrown out into the middle of something he was never supposed to exist in. He was thrown out of something he was never supposed to live without and couldn't live without. He lost the fellowship, the union he had with God. And so here's, here's what I'm saying. This is where this relates to us. Genesis, these stories, this book, it, it's the beginning of the rescue. I, I've said this, I want to reiterate. Here's the story of man prior to the fall. Let me show it. Let me get up. There's table of contents, abbreviations for names, opening page. Here's the story of, here's the story of man before the fall. It's right there. Now, I'm not going to argue old earth, young earth. Uh, I believe in an old earth, but I got reasons for it. I wouldn't cross the street to argue with anybody about it. Okay, I mean, 6,000 years is pretty old, but I'm 6 billion is older too, and 14 billion or whatever. But 
I wouldn't cross the street to argue about. But here's the deal. It doesn't matter if it was 14 billion years, 27 trillion years. It, it wouldn't matter. It still only takes up that much space. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that was it. it. It Right there. And everything is going to be about the rescue. The rest of it, it's all about the rescue. I'm going to tell you something. God went to a lot of trouble to rescue us. You're not just an afterthought to God. He didn't just like write us off. He looked down through the eons of time and he saw you. He saw me. He said, they're going to be broken. They're going to be separated. They're going to be like a fish out of water. I'm going to get out there and rescue them. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Hey, his ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. And his arm is not short that he cannot save. He started this a long time ago. And he came to your rescue. And he came to my rescue. It, 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 it's, it's really, you know, there's, there's a lot I don't know. But it's, it, there, there's some real simple truth here. God loves us enough to go to extreme, uh, extremes to rescue us. So wherever you are today, let me just tell you, if that's what he would do for Adam and the fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, if, if he would do that in the overarching story, he knows right where you are. Hey, if, if six billion years is just one page to him, hey, brothers and sisters, your little situation right there, it ain't no big deal to him. It, it, he, he'll roll up his sleeves. He, he'll move mountains. He'll walk on water. He'll speak to storms. He'll help you out of your situation as well. Hey, things happen. Life gets tough. Adam and Eve, my Lord, have mercy. What They had it all, right? Now, here's the deal. I always look at Lucifer. What an idiot, right? This guy, you're talking about having it all, and he wants more. Got it made, dude. You're like number two man. Want to be number one. Iniquity found in his heart. Boom, cast down. Wow, that's crazy. Adam and Eve come on the scene. They've got so much. They're made in the image and likeness of God. Lucifer doesn't even have that. We'll talk about it. Eve was deceived. Adam was not deceived. The epicness of the fall is pretty tragic. But here's the deal. They had so much going their way. But life just happened. They woke up one day and it was all over. They were cast out of Eden. Stuff happens, right? We got a good thing going. Something dumb happens. And we lose it. We're in the middle of a mess. I'm going to tell you the same God that rescued them is the same God that will rescue you. Hallelujah. He's already made a way. He's already made a way. So we're going to dive in these amazing stories of of Genesis and and really crack it open. But the underlying, underlying everything is the story of the rescue of fallen man. And that can be summed up in one word, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad he rescued you? Amen. Amen. So, I'm done a little early, actually. I got to tell you, I, I just uh, I was doing some introductory type stuff. But the idea is powerful. It's strong. We're going to plow through this. God's going to bring some understanding to some of us, some depth where we can get 
hooked in and not get blown around by weird doctrines and crazy thoughts, voices and, and, you know, our own ideas, but we can get, we can get hooked in and we can, we can stay the course because I'm telling you, it starts in Genesis. It's all about Jesus. Stand with me right now. One of our musicians come. Somebody needs to know tonight that we have a champion in Jesus. And uh, it started so long ago. I'm stuck on this. I'm sorry. I overthink things. But I'm just telling you. In this room today, there's so many diversities of backgrounds when it comes to church. People have different denominational backgrounds. We have churched unchurched and de-churched people in here. Church people means they're church people. De-churched means they quit church and got mad at church. Some some was like that. And then unchurched people mean they didn't have any kind of church background, but maybe just they knew it existed. We got people from all different backgrounds around here, and sometimes we think so small, man. It's like, well, are you Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? Are you Catholic? Are you Episcopal? And we have the all the stereotypes that go along with that. And I guess all those have their place, you know, as far as categorizing and whatnot. But I'm talking about a God who before any of those words were ever formed had a plan. Before he started anything. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. Nothing was made without that word in mind. He planned all that is with the idea of the rescue programmed into it. If he's going to die on a cross... Here's where that goes. If he's going to die on a cross made of wood, he has to program trees and seeds and harvest and sunshine and photosynthesis and all that stuff to to bring about the tree that would be hewn apart, machined, that he would hang on. If if there were going to be thorns... He had to have the idea that when man falls, these thorns are going to come from the ground so that that crown could be planted on the head of Jesus. And he can bear the curse for us. Nails. There has to be iron ore. It's got to be this price. I've got to put that into creation because I've got to rescue. Because these these kids are going to fall. But I've got a plan. I'm just saying, this is a, that's why I say it all. This is an epic, huge story. Okay, you just you didn't just plug in a life point. You plugged in to this nexus, man, like this huge network. We have a cloud of witnesses looking on, cheering us on, that have gone on before that plugged in as well. This is something huge. Amen.
Can you close your eyes and lift your hands to him and thank him for his faithfulness? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. You are our champion, Lord Jesus. You rescued us, God. You came and found us, delivered us, God. And Lord, you thought of everyone in this room. We're not an afterthought. We're not an accident, God. You had us in mind from the very get-go, Lord. You saw these fallen sons and daughters, God, and you knew I'll raise them up. I'll give them new life. I'll reunite. I'll connect with them. I'll make a way. I'll bridge the gap. My arm will rescue them. Hallelujah.